This is Jackets Debrief, a show about the Columbus Blue Jackets, the National Hockey League, and part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome to another week of Jackets Debrief here. Uh it's been it's been a fun week. I've been enjoying it. Uh it's been a, it's not been a huge hockey news week, at least as far as the Blue Jackets are concerned, and that I definitely get. We're kind of in that that waiting period of the offseason. We've got plenty to talk about on tonight's show. We've got a great guest in uh Bill Shea from The Athletic as well, uh, to discuss kind of the future of the NHL's TV deal. Uh Personally, on a on a fun uh, note here, I celebrated a birthday this week. Browns win with just a crazy game after last week's awfulness. I was super happy to see it. So we are definitely starting with the beer of the week, as we as we often should. Uh, so what we've got here this week is best brown ale uh, from Bell's. It's located out of Michigan. There. Ooh, that's nice. Uh, the one I'm having comes in a 12-ounce bottle here. Uh, the way their website describes it here, a smooth, toasty beer that offers a hint of cocoa and caramel. Brewed with American hops, best brown is well-balanced and bridges the gap between lighter-bodied beers and malty stouts. The owl hopefully agrees. You never know with owls. Uh, 5.8% alcohol. Um so we'll see here. I'm going to pour it into the glass, see what kind of color we get out of it, and see what we're uh, we're seeing there. Ooh, nice rich color there. Um, not a ton of head. Maybe that's that I've had the bottle for a few weeks, but this says the shelf life is six months on a bottle of it. So. We'll see how this goes here. That's a nice, yeah, nice full color there. Um, let's see. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, you definitely get that that hint of caramel in there. Um, not as much the the cocoa they talked about, it, at least from what I can tell. But I think it's really good. Uh, definitely a very good fall beer has that nice feeling to it, kind of some thickness to it, but, but yeah, when they talk about it being bridging the gap there, it, it is, it's kind of one of those beers where, you know, you want something a little hardier cause it's, it's, it's fall now, but you know, maybe you're not wanting to go, um, quite like a Guinness or something that hard. So, so I like it. It's quite good. Mm. I would put this on a, uh, on a recommend if you see this somewhere. Uh, Best Brown, American Brown Air by Bells out of Comstock, Michigan. If you see it somewhere, I definitely feel good about getting it. I feel good about recommending it there. With this little head that is on it, I'm kind of surprised by how much carbonation I'm getting out of it when I drink it. But very good. Very good beer. I enjoy it quite a bit. All right. Now we get into the hockey. So, uh, this week... Starting with the Blue Jacks, starting with probably the biggest news story was just that we had a little bit of news uh, directly on the Blue Jackets about uh, John Tortorella's contract situation. And and the stories that came out uh, from Pierre Lebrun was that there was no question the Blue Jacks want to keep Torts around. 
Uh, there's nothing planned anytime soon for a contract, though, but that's more the uncertainty of the season and the NHL financial landscape than anything else. I can see that. Uh, the Blue Jackets, when everything went crazy with COVID, the only people who took any kind of pay cuts were the coaches. Uh, they were asked to forego their playoff bonuses, which to my understanding, they all did. Uh, just understanding that a lot of that playoff playoff bonus money comes from the fact that they can sell tickets for people to come to the playoffs, and since they couldn't, yeah, I mean, the Blue Jackets, in most years, you make a lot of money going to the playoffs because uh, you hosting games, we've done the math before. I mean, I think it's not hard to say that you could make, a team can make at least a, a million dollars um, a playoff game, if not more than that, depending on tickets and snacks and all that good stuff and beers and everything. So them foregoing that is not a shock to me that they did so. Um, I I think waiting right now on Tortorella is the right call because there kind of seems to come a time for a lot of teams where the coach that has brought you this far can't take you any further and you kind of got to move on. Now, I'm not saying we're there with Tortorella. Is it possible Tortorella takes this team to a Stanley Cup? Yeah, definitely could be. Could definitely still happen. But we're just... Right now, you've got one year left in the contract. I don't think Tortorella has a rush to move anywhere else. The team likes him. But there's no reason to just wait and see what happens this season. Um, I mean, I, I could almost see them having something where, you know, maybe if they make the playoffs this year, they they work something out pretty quickly thereafter. Uh, but I'm not surprised not to see that as of you know for them not to have made a deal there yet. Um, the other couple of stories, and, and mostly there were just things I wanted to to comment on here, is that uh, there are some stories out there about. Um, uh, and most of these were from first Ohio battery, but they're pretty good. And, and they're, some of them have influence from the athletic, but things like are the blue jackets contenders, which is a good piece by Allison Luke in there on, on uh, first Ohio battery. And essentially it was a breakdown based on statistical information about the team and about all that. And I get it. Um, the way the breakdown came down was essentially that blue jackets lines two through four, and defensive wise, they're they're you know they're, they they kind of hit that mold. Uh, the first line might not quite be there yet. This team's so young, everything's up in the air. Uh, anybody doing prognostications on the Blue Jackets next year, heaven help you. Uh, I, I just I, I don't know where to go with that. First of all, is this team a contender? I've said for a long time, as long as this team has Zach Renski and Seth Jones on the blue line, they will definitely fight for a playoff spot. Now this team not only has those two guys in the blue line, we've got two good goalies, and we finally, for what I believe is probably the first time in franchise history, have number one and number two centers. Centers that any team in this league would take. Um, you've got, you know, you've got Pierre-Luc Dubois on that top line. You've got Max Domi on the second line. You've got some good wingers complement them. The big question is, is the youth going to step up and be what you need it to be? At this point, anybody trying to project that out, we don't have a full season on Alexander Texier because he's so young. We don't have full seasons on people like Liam Foody. Um, Max Domi, we've seen when he's at his best, he can be great. Same with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, getting the, the thing that I think will be interesting about this season that I'm not hearing being talked about is how much is it going to be beneficial for the Blue Jackets that 
like they talked about the, the team talked about the fact that you're going to get Boone Jenner back on the third line and back at winger or maybe not third line but back at winger which they said is great because of how he plays on the uh how he plays on the four check, how he plays F1, and he tends to be the one who goes up and, and does that kind of stuff as far as getting that four check uh, in deep. The fact that all the rest of the talent on the team is going to be properly slotted, the fact that we're not going to be trying to run a Boone Jenner out there against team second lines, or that we're not relying on that for second line scoring, or an Alexander Wenberg line to do that, that's huge for this team. Uh something I started doing some analysis about on this and, and by analysis, I mean, looking over other people's numbers and other things people did. There's all this talk about going out and getting another winger and maybe they still do. I don't know. Maybe they still do, but I think there were people who throughout this whole season thought maybe we'd see more from a Gustav Nyquist than we did. And part of that may be when he was in Detroit, he tended to play top line minutes and in Columbus, he didn't. Um, and he was playing with, again, Alexander Wenberg and Boone Jenner. Yeah. But if now all of a sudden you're putting him on a wing with Max Domi, maybe you get a lot more out of Gustav Nyquist. I could definitely see that being part of the idea on what's going to happen here and what's going to make this team better. The fact that when those players are slotted properly, because, I mean, Boone Jenner is a really good player. Boone Jenner, when he's playing really well, can probably get into some top six minutes. But if you've got Boone Jenner consistently playing the third line, he's going to be really good against whatever any other team throws out at thinking against the third line. He's a great defensive player. He's really good. I am very much a, a, a believer that just this team is going to be better based on that, that natural getting better. And then also, obviously, a full year of Liam Foodie, a full year of Alexander Texier, letting those players... I, the Texier... Pierre-Luc Dubois grouping that we saw, pairing that we saw in the playoffs was awesome. And I am very much looking forward to seeing that going forward here. Um, another article that seemed to create some, I don't know if consternation is the right word, but uh, The Athletic did a list of the top 155 players under the age of 23 in the NHL. Um, the Blue Jackets had, uh, what, five players on the list. Um 18, Dubois, 69, Marchenko, 103, Texier, 122nd, Foodie, and Bemstrom is 142nd. I mean, this is a nice list. That's great. Um, players this young, you're still kind of projecting them out, so who knows? I mean, when he was 23, no one said that Artemi Panarin was one of these players. He wasn't really on the radar in the same way, so that's I mean, these, these lists are good. They're good to have a general knowledge of who's out there and who's coming up, but you can't put too much stock in them where some people started looking at them a little bit more saying, hey, the Blue Jackets, you know, all of those guys are actually, with the, with the exception of Marchenko, we're actually expecting them to be playing for us here in the next year. Is that uh, a legitimate thing to do? I mean, where's our young talent? Where's what we're going to build for the future? And that's where the Blue Jackets are, you know, they're just drafting. I mean, that the, the guy they got this year, Chinikov. The Blue Jackets look at him and say, hey, this could be a top six guy, definitely. And the rest of the league goes, eh, maybe not. But that this that's the thing about hockey. You don't know until these guys get up there, until these guys have played. Uh, I the, the positive for the Blue Jackets is they have so many young players on the team that they can... They have some time to build up that cupboard again. 
it's not like all the best players on this team are in their late 20s and early 30s. All the guys that we've built around, I mean, the oldest guy is what, 25, 26? I mean, Cam Atkinson, I guess, you know, he's getting up there. But at this point, I almost don't consider him one of the foundational pieces. I think the oldest foundational piece is probably like Seth Jones, who's like 25 or so. So, I, I mean, it's not like there's a rush that we have to get a bunch of young talent right away because we have a bunch of young talent on the actual NHL roster. So if it takes us another two or three years to build up that pipeline where guys are going to start coming up to the team, you know, on, on a yearly basis, you've got another one or two good guys who are going to join the team at that point. Okay. Now we're getting, you know, Seth Jones into his late twenties. That's fine. That's a good time to have it. I, I'm not concerned about that at all as far as where the blue Jacks are at. So, I mean, overall, this all is to say the blue Jacks are in good shape. Um, there's something we may get into at other points about how the Blue Jacks have so many contracts coming up soon, but I, I think that gives them a lot of flexibility. And for a lot of the players they really want to keep, they're still going to have the RFA deals to sign. Um, obviously, we don't know about the Pierre Luc Dubois contract yet, but I mean, Zach Rinsky is going to be an RFA. Texas is going to be an RFA. Uh, so, I mean, the only one that anybody has any concern about is Seth Jones. Is Seth Jones going to say, oh, I want to go UFA and try the market? Maybe will. I, I don't know. I've never seen anything but great relationship between the blue jackets and seth jones so we'll see how that goes um but hey uh now i want to jump to our interview um we'll do a quick word from our fo- our friends at the hockey podcast network um but we're going to do our interview with bill shea um letting you know on this uh interview we did with with uh, mr shea that he was so so uh so nice to do here for us uh when we were recording we hit a slight uh technical issue so a little bit of his first answer was cut off um but we got almost all the entirety of the interview. So you're not missing a whole lot to that. Uh, but if Mr. Shea, if you're listening and uh, you're like, wait, I said more than that. A little bit of that first answer was cut off there. And I do apologize to everyone for that. Just a technical issue. And I couldn't, wasn't able to retrieve that sound, but um, yeah, we're going to do a quick, a uh, quick word from our folks, our friends of the hockey podcast network. And then our uh, interview. Hello, bonjour, hello, hi, heya, and previet, hockey fans. Welcome to the Europuck Podcast, the show where two Brits talk all things European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. If you want to keep updated on all of the latest news, scores, or standings from across the European hockey world, you want to get some insight from some very interesting guests discussing their stories with hockey and how the sport grows around in Europe in different interesting places, or if you want to keep updated with all of the leagues across Europe that are either playing, have been suspended, cancelled, delayed indefinitely, then do check out our latest episodes of the Europuck podcast every Friday as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a YouTube channel, the Europuck Podcast, and you can listen to us wherever else you get your podcasts. So check us out every Fridays and we'll see you there, folks. All right, welcome to Jackets Debrief. Today's guest, he's an award-winning reporter and editor. He spent 13 years as a reporter with Cranes Business Detroit, creating the sports business beat to the point that Forbes named him a Twitter must-follow on the topic. You can find his current work as a business reporter for The Athletic, Bill Shea. All right, so it's been well-documented that the most recent Stanley Cup final, along with a lot of other sporting events, have had lower ratings than normal. Um, Why are we saying that we think the NHL is still going to see a big increase in the next TV rights deal? 
Cup and the NBA Finals and the, the NFL starting its regular season actually on time and, you know, golf, tennis, just all, you know, major events all jammed up in a very short period of time. So um, everybody's ratings were down. Um, there's a lot of discussion of why that kind of laid out the, the, the reasons. There's a lot of bad faith actors out there uh, attributing ratings declines to other things. But really, um, with the ratings being down, the networks understand, the leagues and the teams understand um, that this is such an anomaly that you can't look at it and say, oh, the, you know, the, the ratings are way down. We're, we're not going to pay anything for, for your rights in the future. It, it's the exact opposite of that. The networks are extremely happy to have the National Hockey League to fill airtime this year and, and the other, you know, live sports as well because Hollywood got hit by the pandemic well as well and scripted programming just really isn't there you know you, you see like the the sunday night movie is back on cbs you know things out of my childhood have returned um there's a, there's a very limited amount of entertainment content available for the networks to put on television so they are extremely happy to have the sports uh events going on even if the viewership has been cannibalized you know across the board um they're happy it's there the advertisers are happy it's there and you know fingers crossed toes crossed everything that you can possibly cross the 2020 is back to normal um you know season starting on time or relatively you know in their their general time when they would start fans allowed back in the stadium to summer you know full capacity um and things are just back to normal and, and people view hopefully normal like they did in the past, you know, we'll see the numbers return to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and that's what the National Hockey League is. And I'm sure that's the conversation they're making across the bargaining table um, with the various bidders on, uh, on their TV rights. You know, it's uh, you just can't look at 2020 and make any judgment call based on uh, about the future based on what happened this year. It's just unprecedented. And I can definitely understand on that, especially with this weird, crazy period of time where all the sports seem to be playing at once. I mean, that was that was truly something I don't think you know anybody saw coming. Any you know, so that's all them cannibalizing each other. I'm sure added to the problems there. Uh, now, as far as uh, in in the article there, you mentioned that NBC really wants to hang on to the NHL. I mean, do you consider that the NHL is kind of central to their portfolio as far as sports? Something they they kind of consider they they have to keep it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that anybody has to keep anything. I think they would very much like to keep it, and I think they will be willing to to spend some some serious money to do that. Um, they're not paying a particularly huge amount. In within the context of sports rights, uh, currently the ten-year, two billion-dollar deal um, that expires after next year—that's uh, not a, a massive, massive. You know, you look at the NFL stuff, which is just dwarfs what the NHL is is paid for its rights. Um, you know, it's 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 not pocket change. I mean, I I wouldn't you know turn it down personally, but uh, you know, the, I think NBC will be to be willing to to pay significantly more than that. I I don't know how much. Um, and there's going to be competition. Um, you know, other networks are are interested, and that will certainly drive up the uh, the bargaining process, the prices. Um, I don't know what NBC's threshold is. I mean, you know, they have their their budgets. They're going to have to deal with, um, and that that is one of the areas where the pandemic will affect things. Is you know the networks, the 
the the money isn't there that was there in the past because of this year. We think things will eventually return to normal. Um, the money will return like we've seen in the past for the networks. They will have the financial wherewithal to pay, to pay that. Um, you know, none of, none of the parties involved in any of these talks on either side of the table are going to be on the corner banging their tin cup asking for handouts, you know, anytime soon. These are all extremely lucrative and, and wealthy organizations. Um, it's just a matter of what numbers are on either side of the decimal points. Something else you talked about was that the NHL is interested in bringing a, a second network on for, for rights. Do you think there's, I mean, why do you think that is? Do you think it's being unhappier than uh, NBC? Do you think there's just wanting that extra money out of it or, or exposure? What, what, what seems to be the drive there? I, I think it's just, it's just the basic market economics The you know, the, the more people you have, bid, uh, think of it like selling your home. Um, if you have one bid, you're, you don't have a whole lot of bargaining room as the seller. If you've got five or six bidders, well, then you all of a sudden you have people, you know, willing to pay more than, than what you're asking or, you know, what a single bid would be. So that that's the smart economic play on the part of the National Hockey League. Um, the networks are all, I think, genuinely interested in because live sports content is still extremely valuable because it's, you know, they used to call it TiVo proof. You know, people don't want to record a game sit there for two or three hours and you know if they've been gone or something and come home and watch i mean you want you want to watch it live um that means you sit through the commercials um you know that's that's you know why they're so lucrative and valuable to the networks because they you know tell the advertisers like hey people will sit and watch this so they'll see your commercials for your you know acme widgets or, or whatever it is um you know and i think the nhl has also looked at what the other leagues have done um you know, and with multiple partners, streaming partners, and, you know, I, I would not be surprised if, you know, the, the rights are divvied up across several partners, including, you know, we may see some games that are only available on streaming um, rather than traditional, you know, network television. Um, it's going to be an interesting future on, on what the NHL does with their rights, but uh, they're definitely going to cash in. Yeah, that was something I've been kind of starting to, to play around with the idea as well. I mean, it, with, with the whole, the idea of them, uh, somebody going in and, and trying to get NHL rights for, there's so many streaming services now, getting NHL games on Peacock or ESPN Plus or, you know, CBS All Access or whatever that's going to be called. And because and, I know they're changing the name on that. Do you see that as kind of a future idea of where one of those national distribution models goes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to make any predictions, but I, I think you're going to see um, NHL games in a lot of different places, and it won't just and it won't just be games. Um, you're going to see highlights packages sold. Um, maybe not in this round, but you know, possibly in this round in future in future negotiations. Um, you know, because you know the Gen Z, uh, all the experts say, you know, they're not always going to sit down and watch a, a game end to end. Uh, in any sport, um, they'll watch some, but they will consume a lot, um, you know, on second screens or, or mobile devices just on their own, just to watch highlights, just to watch, you know, special and curated content. Um, so, you know, and that's just other places for a, a league like the NHL to make money, um, you know, streaming over the air, cable, um, highlights, stats, 
all of that stuff, uh, you know, all, all of that has value and they will sell it in ways they think they can maximize the revenue for it. Now, you know, maybe I'm not sure if you have any insights on this or, or not, or if you just have a view on it as a fan, is there any particular network you think would be more interesting to see with, with the NHL adding back in, whether it's ESPN or someone like Turner who does some, some crazy things with their NBA show and they've done some good things now with their MLB shows and all that. Any place in particular you think you'd like to see it land as far as a second second partner on top NBC? Um, you know, I I don't have a, a preference or anything. Um, you know, like you said, Turner does some really interesting stuff. Fox Sports does as well. Um, you know, and and all all of the, the the networks and their sports units and partners this year had a chance with the pandemic to experiment with things and I've written about what the NBA um, and its broadcast partners did in the bubble in Orlando with, you know, microphones under the court and, and at the scorers table and, and different cameras and, and unique angles and stuff. Everybody, every single major league and, and minor leagues are looking at what happened during the pandemic because the, the bubbles provided not just a safe way to, to get a season done, but it acted as a lab um, for the networks and, and the leagues to, to do some stuff maybe really couldn't do with full fans in the stands. Um, so the, the experimentation has been really interesting. Um, and, you know, and there's also, um, you know, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. That's going to be another thing, you know, it, 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 TikTok and reels and all that stuff and and uh, just you know I think the NHL will look at what each of these networks uh, have to offer and they will pick what I think is is I they will pick what is financially best but I think also they if they're smart will look at you know who will help you know walk hand in hand into the future with technology and in how to provide content to to fans um, that they can sell to advertisers. Um, you know, and sometimes it's not the biggest, very biggest deal that you want. If you, if you feel that there's a, a deal that is, you know, provides, uh, you know, bigger audiences or, you know, to, to reach the key demos in more and different and interesting ways, you know, maybe you go with that instead, maybe not quite as much money in the short term, but, you know, more exposure, bigger audience long term, um, especially with younger viewers. That's what, you know, that, I mean, everybody wants the 18 to, to 49 demo, um, you know, for advertising, but that youngest demo is really what you want because those are your, your lifelong viewers that you, you hope you land. So that's, uh, that's why you see stuff you know, with the, the TikToks and the bite-sized consumption and, and going to streaming and stuff like that because that's how younger people consume content and media. Well, Bill, it's been a it's been a pleasure talking with you. I thank you for for cutting out a part of your morning here to talk with us here. Um, again, we've been talking with Bill Shea, business reporter for the Athletic. Thank you very much today, sir, for your time. Thanks, I always appreciate it, and go Blue Jackets. Oh, thank you very much, Bill. You have a you have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thanks. Anytime. I appreciate the chance. We just finished a really exciting season of hockey here in Columbus, and the future is bright with all these. Awesome young players, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Alexander Texier, Liam Foody, Elvis Merz-Lincolns. But now you've got a new problem. How do you get jerseys for these guys? Well, we've got you hooked up. CoolHockey.com slash THPN. And since CoolHockey.com doesn't outsource jerseys for customization like competitors, they're able to offer the best deals, best quality, and pricing and time on your delivery. So remember, when you need a new jersey, CoolHockey.com slash THPN 
for our exclusive discount there. Remember to use the discount code THPN, coolhockey.com slash THPN. We do want to thank Bill Shea for coming on the show here. Um, and a couple of quick stories to wrap up this uh, last, this week's show here. Uh, one, Doc Emmerich has uh, decided to retire from calling NHL games, which is a big blow. I mean, that is, that's the top guy in the United States as far as calling hockey games um, for NBC. And, and obviously immediately, you know, there was all these things about him and discussion about him. And I really liked the video the Blue Jackets put out where it was, he did a lot of the intro stuff with the Blue Jacks for franchise. Like he was there at events saying, Oh, this is the name of the team and oh, introduce people on opening night and all that cool stuff. But the question obviously goes pretty quickly to who's going to replace him. And there's been some rumors out there. Um, my, what, what I would say at this point uh, where I find this interesting is then speculation is if NBC, because they're in the final year of their current agreement with the NHL, are they going to rush to name a replacement? I could almost see the I could almost see NBC saying, you know what? We're gonna spend a year. Um, we've got enough guys in house that we can kind of just fill that role in different ways. Um, and then uh, at the end of the at the end of the season when you have that new contract with the NHL, then maybe decide what you want to do. Um that would be my guess as to what they may do with this. Uh, they, I mean, they could go a lot of different ways, obviously, but it's just a thought process. Last story for the week. Uh, some news came out. The NHL had a GM's meeting. It was a really a big pile of nothing. Um, I mean, we've known for a while now that the earliest the season's probably going to start is in January. Uh, I saw some people upset because the NBA is apparently pushing very hard to open and have their first games ready for Christmas since that's their big TV day. Uh, but there's a big difference between the NBA and the NHL. The NBA can get a lot further on just their TV money than the NHL can. The NHL really needs that ticket revenue. So until there's at least a path for fans getting back in the arena, I'm not saying the game won't start until fans are back in, but until there's a path, meaning say they, you know, say that we have a vaccine for COVID that we're starting to distribute um, late December, early January for the essential people, the the hotel or the not hotel hospital workers and the police and fire and certain people. Cause I've seen, if you can look at this point, um, I know Ohio has actually released their plan for how it would roll out and other places are doing the same, but it's a plan. It is. Yes. Once we have the vaccine, this is what we'll do. And I think what the NHL is looking at is, okay, so when are people going to start getting the vaccine? If there's a vaccine ready. And once that happens, they will then say, okay, Based on all these plans, when will everyone have the vaccine? And then based on that, count backwards. And I think the NHL is probably willing to do something close to maybe quarter to maybe even as much as half of a season with minimal attendance before they're able to start going. So I, I, what I would expect is that date where they're projecting for everyone to have the vaccine or access to it, I'd project that as the halfway point of the season. That's just my guess. Uh, I could be entirely wrong. If I end up just having to watch all the games on TV, I'm fine with it, but I'm trying to you know, project this based out on uh, the NHL and their business decisions on that process. So 
so we'll see what happens. Um, the other interesting thing is apparently some GMs want to uh, change the draft lottery. I don't care that much about the draft lottery at this point. I think it's okay if it was me and I was redoing the draft lottery. I would make this very simple. If you do not make the playoffs, you do a lottery to determine all picks 1 through 16. And you can weight it based on, you know, the worst team has the best chances at going number one, that sort of thing. But it would just be really cool. I mean, 1 through 16, just complete chaos. It would be really fun. Uh, I would like it. Um, I know that fans in Detroit this year were really salty because they were like, oh, the furthest we can fall is four, and we probably won't do that, and then they fell to four. But it'd be really kind of funny uh, if a team with the, with the worst record fell to pick number 16 or 15 now, 16 once we get to 32 teams. But just the idea of everybody being in that lottery, I find very fascinating, very interesting. So anyway, I uh, do want to thank you all for uh, watching, checking out the show here. Do appreciate it. Um, and until next time, go Jackets. Please subscribe to the show. Follow us on Twitter at Jackets Debrief. And thank you for listening.